Ladies and gentlemen, may I direct your attention to something quite extraordinary, quite incredible, quite unlike anything you may have experienced in your life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your podcast, Shella Languages. Uh, we are here to explore fascinating stories from around the world. And today we have a truly special episode for you, as we uh, know that you like to hear about incredible journeys. And, you know, today we have this uh, very special guest, my friend, Genia, who has uh, thrived on the vast and diverse continent of Africa. Our guest today is going to explain a little bit about his adventures and why he has traveled as well to these unique corners of the world. Right now he's in Africa, he's been here in Guatemala too, and he's here's here today to share some of his experiences, challenges, and the beauty he has discovered during this nomadic journey. So Eugenia, it's a pleasure to have you again on this show. Uh, please, can you introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about your experience so far? Reese, uh, I'm happy to to be talking to you again and to be on on this podcast. I think we spoke once or twice before, uh, if I'm not yes. at least once. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here and to speak. Yeah, to tell you a little bit about my experience. I'm in Rwanda right now, so I've been here for three weeks. Rwanda, but you have visited Africa before, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. So I. About a year ago, I went to Kenya for two months, and then I returned to England. And then I went to Tanzania, which is a neighboring country, for four months. Then I went back to England again, um, and then I came here. So it's been three weeks. So this is my third sub-Saharan African country. Okay, I understand that. Sub-Saharan. So maybe you can explain a little bit about this 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 term, sub-Saharan. Um, so I don't understand it perfectly myself, but I guess I have a general idea. They have uh, North Africa is is one region. Uh, it's because the population is not um, like Black African, rather they are Arab and Berber mostly in North Africa. But it's Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, uh, maybe another country, Morocco. Um, yes, and then Sub-Saharan. It's and it's below the Saharan Desert, where. Almost the whole population is Black African, as opposed to, but they have different ethnic groups as well, of course. But it's considered like a, as a, as another type of region, right? You have West Africa, you have East Africa, but they're all sub-Saharan. And then you have North Africa, which is Maghreb, right, where people emigrate often to France. They're all French ex-colonies. Exactly. I'm talking about all of that. You know, it is interesting that in North Africa, uh, maybe not like most of the countries where some of the countries speak uh, French as a second language. So as you said before, they tend to migrate very often to France or to French speaking countries like Belgium as well. But anyways, talking about all of this and uh, talking about your, your, your impressions on Africa, um, let's compare, for example, your origins to Africa, and then let's talk a little bit about Guatemala and how you can compare these three, you know, destinations you have visited. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of comparisons. I know. Multiple countries. (laughs) My origins are complicated because myself and my family, we immigrated twice, or my parents, and they took me. So I was born in Latvia in the Soviet Union in 87. Uh, That's three years before the fall of the Soviet Union. 
So just as it fell or fell apart, 1990 collapsed, we moved to Israel because uh, my dad is Jewish and the Jews were finally allowed to leave, you know, because before they couldn't leave. Um, so there was a mass uh, immigration or migration of Jewish people to Israel because they could leave. So we went to Israel. When I was 13, we went to England because Israel, um, as you can see now, is not a stable place because right now we're doing the Gaza war there, Gaza, Hamas, Israel. Uh, and yes, and then I spent maybe seven years in total in Guatemala too. I lived in Quetzaltenango in Shela. That's where I met Luis. Um, yes. So how do I compare all these places? Um, well, I'll tell you something funny. Uh-huh. Impressions, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I, I spent seven years in Guatemala, which is considered a developing country, a third world country, even though this term is a bit controversial now and the terms to describe you know, countries of different levels of wealth and development, they change over time because of political correctness or new ideas about how to co-countries. So I thought I'll be, uh, I was ready for, uh, let's say, very poor countries, mm -hmm. right? So when I, Kenya was very interesting, but Tanzania had a real culture shock. Tanzania is about four or five times, uh, has a GDP per capita four or five times less than Guatemala's. Guatemala's at about $5,000 per person per year. Tanzania is at $1,000, $1,200 per person per year. It means it's like, according to this one indicator, economic indicator, it's, you could say it's four or five times uh, poorer. Or uh, more. But in Guatemala, which is significant, you know, there's less street light, the roads are broken, less paved roads. Uh, so this was shocking. Uh, poverty is, yeah, is maybe more, it was more visible for me in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was very difficult in that sense uh, because uh, also just to live there was hard. You know, it was dusty and dirty, uh, no streetlights, um, things like that. Uh, tra public transport's worse. Yeah. I understand. And, you know, this is one of the first impressions you got from, I mean, like from the moment you arrived and, uh, you, you, we were, we were talking a couple of days ago and you said, I mean, like one of the words you use was like, this country is basically broken because you see the broken streets, the broken structure. I mean, like the, the broken system as well. And, uh, this probably probably people will wonder whenever they listen to this this podcast episode. So how do you make a living there? I mean, like, what are the most common activities in the economy, for example, in these countries? These are, like, that's Tanzania, my experience of one city, right? The second largest city, maybe the equivalent of Shela in Quetzaltenango. It's a city called Arusha. Um, there are, of course... Even in poor countries, developing countries, you have rich people, people that own industries, own factories, own large businesses. Um, Tanzania and Kenya have a lot of tourism too. Um, they have, uh, you know, they have Serengeti national parks. They have these huge animals running around. That's what's amazing in East Africa. You could it's, imagine if you left Quetzaltenango and you drove, took a bus for 40 minutes and you had ostriches and zebras just roaming, um, you know, you have cows too, I and mean, then you have these animals too. So I saw that. That's amazing. You uh, you can have hyenas and other animals. 
But people make money from tourism because they love tourism. Yeah. Kilimanjaro, Serengeti, Masai Mara. Um, yeah. Or you can, yep, these these things. Or you can set up a business that could develop into an industry. And do you think these businesses are like sustainable in terms of, for example, I heard a term, I don't know, like a couple of years ago, and they talked about like this uh, sustainable tourism or cultural tourism, like for example, visiting the different tribes around, you know, these areas in Africa, like visiting the, uh, what is the name of this tribe? Masali? Masa um, Sorry, the Masai. Yeah, the Sorry. Masai tribe. You visit them? I mean, like, did you have these experiences? Yes. They they are uh, they are the most, maybe the most famous tribe of Africa, but not the biggest in Kenya nor Tanzania, but they live in predominantly these two countries. Uh, they're famous because they stick to their traditional way of life. They herd, uh, they, they have livestock, cattle, you know, they're famous for that. But you, you have... Uh, um, countryside Maasai or village Maasai people, then you also have Maasais that move into cities and they live like you and me. You know, they work regularly. They, um, yeah, they don't live on their, they're not pastoral people anymore. But I visited Maasai and I had Maasai friends because Arusha in Tanzania had a lot of Maasai people. Um, yeah, they're very famous and it's, they have their own traditions. It's quite interesting. Okay. They also look different to you. So Africa has different. They, they, Africa has different ethnic groups. People look. This is one thing that shocked me. Actually, in Kenya, mm -hmm. which is different to Guatemala, for example, I, when I arrived in Guatemala, I just compared. I people uh, looked more or less. Well, people looked similar. You either had mestizos, which have one kind of look, I guess, but also varied. I guess depending on how much people mixed with Europeans, let's say, or with uh, indigenous people, and then you have indigenous people. But I've I've been around Mexico and I've been in San Cristobal de las Casas as well in and uh, Cancun region and it's all Mayan people and they have one I would I would say to my ignorant eyes you know and I spent years in this region they look very like similar mm -hmm. but with the first thing that shocked me in Nairobi in Kenya the capital is how different the different the the people were they were they were big African big tall people. They were short and skinny people. They were tall and skinny. They were they were short and wide. They were all kind of colors. Of they were, they were black people, but all kind all shades of black. Mm -hmm. It's not really black. It's brown, right? But some people were really really dark, and some people were really light skinned, and their facial features were widely wildly different, which was amazing. And that's when I realized like I it it means it's it's massively different populations, different language groups. Mm -hmm. Um. Yes, different tribes, different regions. And this is perhaps one of the most interesting parts for the Shala languages community, you know, hearing about the languages spoken in these regions, because as I understand, and maybe as you said before, you know, for my ignorant ears, you know, all of them like would sound the same, but I know that they have different roots, different families uh, for the different languages and dialects they speak in the different regions of Africa. I understand that, for example, some of these countries recognize like a variety of official languages. So I don't know, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it. I mean, like, what is your experience with, with, the, with the languages spoken in these regions where you were and visited? So, all right. 
I, I'm trying to think how to approach this because there are many. I think just Tanzania has a hundred and twenty languages, right? Different languages, but they have one national language, maybe two English as well, maybe alongside, but it's Swahili in Tanzania and in Kenya too. Kenya, it's Tanzania. Plus, they have like four or five major tribes, each speaking their own language. Now, mo most of Sub-Saharan Africa seems to be speaking a, a group. Of, I think it's called Niger Congo family group, and the Bantu group, Bantu language group, is a subgroup, subfamily of this one. And Bantu is a massive language uh, group in the southern in southern Africa. Swahili belongs to it. And also the language of, of where I am as well in Rwanda, it's called Kinyarwanda, belongs to it too. It's a big group. Apparently it was a big uh, Bantu migration where they became, uh, they, they domesticated uh, plants and started to have agriculture and animals too, and they, they spread. All right. So that's about the people maybe a bit from yeah. what I know, from what I'm, I'm by no means an expert. But Kenya and Tanzania speak Swahili as a national language. As well, and that's that's a lingua franca of East Africa. They also speak it in Uganda a bit. Speak it in uh, where I am as well um, in in Rwanda, in Uganda, and then also in Congo. You speak Swahili. That's five lang five countries, and it's a coastal uh, coastal Bantu language from East Africa, um, and it has one third of its vocabulary, more or less, according to what I saw online, uh, coming from Arabic. Wow. And okay. Arabic is that's been helped. Mm -hmm. Yes. The reason right. is there was slave trade. Arab, you know, the Arab subcontinent or like mm -hmm. sub peninsula, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, they they are close to this part of Africa. They're just across the like a small stretch of sea. Mm -hmm. I think it's the Red Sea. So they they had slave trade uh, here. They would come and settle. They would uh, buy slave, capture slaves bring them back, trade, and they also would settle in this region. So coastal East, East Africa has uh, a lot of uh, uh, Arab Arab genes, you know, people from the peninsula. And so the language, the Bantu African language got mixed with uh, and uh, had uh, loaned loads of, um, lots of Arabic words, lots of Arabic vocabulary. This is totally different to what we already know, for example, the languages, the most common languages people learn here, like English, French, German, I mean, like this, like Western uh, languages. And uh, they're very popular because they bring you opportunities and everything. But you know, whenever you want to visit these parts of the world, I think that you have to open your mind to something totally different. Uh, you sent me a list of vocabulary and I took a look at it and it was very interesting because, you know, this is basically the language you're learning right now. And uh, some of the, for example, the nouns, the descriptions for nouns use the same begin. I mean, like the same letters, the same three, four letters for uh, describing the noun. And uh, this is this is super interesting for me. Maybe you can explain a little bit about this. I mean, like what is what has been your experience so far with this language and this uh, approach to a different uh, language route and everything. So the, the, the vocabulary I sent you is of a language called Kenya Rwanda. It's a national language of um, Rwanda and Burundi. Burundi just been the like has the lowest GDP per capita in the world, but according to this indicator, it's the poorest country on earth, which is crazy. It's just south of Rwanda. 
Anyways, that language is Kenya Rwanda. It's a Bantu language. And because I've been learning Swahili for a year, which is also a Bantu language, I thought maybe Kenya Rwanda would be also easy. But so first of all, Swahili has kind of what I'd call, you know, with uh, quotation marks, a clean pronunciation for maybe a, a European language speaker. It, sound, it has pronunciation maybe similar uh, in some way to Spanish, where the, the vowels are all like A, O, E, U, and O, right? Just easy sounds. Um, and the, the, the consonants are easy to pronounce, almost all of them. It's very easy, kind of sounds like an African-Italian or an African-Spanish Swahili. Now, Kenya Rwanda is kind of crazier. It has uh, sounds that I don't have in any of the of six languages I speak, or seven languages, mm -hmm. um, at least four sounds that are common. So it's kind of, it's been difficult, and it has a lot of different vocabulary from even Swahili, but the grammar is kind of similar to Swahili. Um, so that's been difficult and challenging, and interesting too. Now, what... What what Africa what Bantu languages are are uh, what feature they have that's very interesting that's different to European languages or Indo-European is noun classes, um, noun classes or noun categories where all the nouns of the language are split into maybe ten or fourteen groups, and they behave in a certain way. They uh, you have to conjugate. They have a certain conjugation, and they also affect the verbs and the adjectives that. Uh, relate to these nouns. So you have to conjugate as if, it's not conjugate, but you could call it conjugate the verb and the adjective when you refer to certain nouns, which complicates it because you have to remember this. You have to remember which word belongs to which noun class. That sounds very, very hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed it does. I mean, like, for example, this is something that you you can compare a little bit this it's not the same of course it is not because you know in german you uh you have declinations with adjectives and uh i mean basically genders and everything but it is like a similar concept probably i mean because you have to kind of as you said before it is not called conjugation but something similar with the nouns in this case for this language in specific so totally different uh, to the things we already know and to the languages we intend to learn here in Guatemala, for example. Yeah. Okay. And uh, talking about languages and how do you, for example, work and get by in, in this, in this, in this parts of the world? I mean, like, what is the language you have been using or is it is it mandatory, for example, uh, for the place you're living in right now to learn the, the the national language or the official languages, for example, to 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 I don't know to communicate with people in the market or you know in a taxi or something like that. So I'll tell about the three countries I've visited because I spent a few months in each. It's three weeks here so far, but I plan to be here six months in Kenya. Over two months, I spent uh, that I spent there. I met five people that couldn't speak English, right? Where I had to use Swahili, more or less five, you know, in two months. So I thought, let me go to Tanzania because I want to speak Swahili and I want to I want to be around people that don't speak English. That's why I went to Tanzania. Mm -hmm. So Tanzania, 
about half the people I met in four months didn't speak any English, no, zero, or I could, very little. I could not communicate to them. And that's where I really developed my Swahili because I had to speak it daily, negotiate prices, and stuff like that. So Tanzania is very interesting. And then here, um, a lot of people speak English and French, right? A lot of people. Maybe the more educated you are, or maybe it's correlated to education and wealth, perhaps. I don't know what. Uh, but I regularly meet people that don't speak either French or English. And then I resort, I go to Swahili. I try my third language, right? And when I come, let's say I go to eat in a very cheap place, or I go to a shop that has four people, or I go to a, a barber shop has four or five people. None of us, nobody speaks English or French. So I try Swahili and one of them who speaks Swahili and I manage to get what I want. Um, so that's useful. But then sometimes I go to somebody and they don't speak, you know, they're a taxi driver uh, or in a shop and don't speak English, French or Swahili. And I use my, I don't know, 60, 70 words of Kenya Rwanda that I know to, to somehow to somehow get what I need. <laughs> wow, that's been good. Th that is challenging, I suppose. I mean, like to use all of this knowledge to, I don't know, basically communicate with people there and try different languages to see if one of these languages would actually be spoken by one of the people you're you're speaking with, or one of them. Yeah. So that is that is basically very very interesting. And uh, let's talk about one of the last points uh, for this episode. And this is, I mean, basically the reasons why you're there, why you wanted to explore Africa. Um, what is, was it always a curiosity for you to go there? Was it always like uh, a desire you had to explore a new uh, culture, new language, uh, explore this part of the world? And what are you doing there? I mean, like, uh, I mean, like you're working as an English teacher. We, we know about this, but maybe you can talk about this experience because you were telling me before that you work in the co-working space and that's had had I mean like this has been helping you to develop some other skills as well and uh, maybe you can talk about this experience why did I come here basically um, I've always wanted to visit places I'm very curious about places that I know very little about um, Early in my traveling experiences, when I start, when I left my conventional life in England and started traveling and doing things, I realized that um, a lot of people give you advice about things that they have no idea about, like quitting your job and going traveling. Lots of people that haven't tried this told me that it would be very difficult to come back and get a job. It wasn't. It was very easy to come back, and I got even a better job, and things got better. So uh, very early, I started... I. I found out that I don't have to listen to people, that my knowledge of parts of the world is very, very poor, and that people have no idea. You know, people have an idea of Africa, for example, it's 50-something countries, 46, 50, you know, around 50. And we tend to group this continent, you know, we say Africa, and it brings up images in your head. And you could say the same about Latin America, you could say the same about Europe. But these are, these, these are massive continents, it's very diverse. Um, and I'm very curious as a person, I'm very curious to see new places, new new regions, new experiences, to really see what it's like. And when I tell people in England that I'm going to Africa or to Rwanda, they say, why? 
why were you going there? Like yeah. they, they don't understand. It's not great. <laughs> Sometimes it is great, but people have um, an idea. Or Latin, or Guatemala. You say, why did they, why did you live there for seven years? Yeah. So I'm just very curious, and it's very interesting for me to be in new places. And actually, now I'm looking for a base, same as I lived in Quetzaltenango for you know seven years in Tokyo. I want to find a good African city, and actually, I feel like Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, is that. I realized this after two days, and after three weeks, I feel this even more. It's a great place to live. Okay. And, and this is why maybe I'm here. Uh, like kind of an adventure to see what it's like. Because uh, another comparison, maybe Africa and Latin America, is that Latin America, let's say Spanish-speaking Latin America, has one major language, the same music. Well, the music is the same language. Um, and the language is massive for culture, in my opinion. It shapes and, and, and really dominates culture. We all listen to the same comedians, the same TV, um, same music. Music is really homogeneous. I think it's a bit homogeneous in Latin America with reggaeton dominating. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, in uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. But Latin America, like, but, but Africa, so just Tanzania has a hundred languages, you know, and, uh, and they speak different languages in every country, or they do have English and French as well, but they speak, they do, they still speak their own local languages, languages, uh, in a dominant matter. It's still like the first language. It's as if Kiche would be, you know, word of the main language of, of Guatemala and Spanish being the second language. Imagine that. In fact, so it's very, very very diverse here I feel I feel it's very diverse and I'm only scratching the surface you know I don't really understand the culture here like even after seven years in Guatemala I still don't understand the local culture every few months I understand another layer but still not everything it's very hard to understand the culture it's not just food and music and dance you know oh and and clothes what people wear it's much more it's much deeper culture yeah, I, I, I think the same. I mean, like exploring a new culture is something super interesting. What you're doing is interesting as well. I, I think that many people are going to feel like motivated to learn something new and to see the languages and this exploration as something that can develop not only your skills, your, I mean, like your tangible skills for a job or something like that, but it can develop as well you as, as, as a person, I mean, like it, it can make you grow in, in your inner self as well. And that is, that is very important. I think that we all have to have this, uh, chance to experience something new with English. You can explore many new things, but there is more than just English. I mean, you talked about the lingua franca in Africa. Uh, we talked about the different roots and the different languages you've been exploring and you know, the different regions and how different it is it is in in africa so that's that's very i mean i i will say this is like very cool and uh you know just to finish up with this and uh how do you feel as a digital nomad i think that i can call your profession you know your your what are you doing right now a digital nomad or you know like a nomadic life and this digital world do you think this is I mean, like something people can do or can try to do? Um, I think so, yes. So I guess I am a digital nomad. Um, although when I started working online, it was maybe six or seven years ago when I moved to Shela, actually. 
And I chose, I, I could have been a digital nomad, but I chose to stay in Shela. <laughs> because I, I do like Santanango a lot and I love Guatemala. Yeah. And I chose to be, but now I've been doing it. I went to Brazil for two months. You know, I went to Israel for a month. I went to Kenya for two months. I went to Tanzania for four months. I would go to England periodically. And now I'm here. So it is possible to do. Yes. And it's very interesting. And I've, I have confidence basically in myself. Um, to do this because I know now how I can go to a place and how I can make friends there and what I can do. But the first time I did it, I actually went from Shela. I went to Colombia for a month and a half and I was really scared. And when I was there, I was a bit lost and lonely. That was my first experience. And then I, I realized how I can, how, uh, I can find things or I can, I can set up my life so that I'm happy and not lonely or, or sad or scared. So for me, it's possible. I can tell you how, I don't know if we have time or yeah, but digital nomading is something popular. I think nowadays people go maybe everywhere. If, uh, if they tend to go to popular destinations. That's cool. Yeah. Maybe this is a very nice topic for, in, for a, I'm going to like a follow up episode. Um, and, uh, we can talk about this digital nomad life and how you can actually do it that's very nice and uh you know talking about making friends and you know like exploring the the cities the countries um i think i have this last question and we can wrap this up uh for you is it like very and super important to learn the local language if you intend to settle For me personally, yes, because I just love languages and I'll just do, I just do it for fun. You know, I just, just do it for the heck of it. I'm just like, you know, I'm in, cool. I'm in Rwanda and I'm learning this tough, crazy language called Kenya Rwanda just for the heck of it. <laughs> But today I had lunch with somebody who, who a Belgian person who has been living here 20 or 30 years, who doesn't know the local language because it's very tough. It's tougher than Swahili for a European speaker. So you don't have to. And you can get by, you know, there's even, you know, there's even Americans and North Europeans or Europeans, sorry, North Americans that come to Latin America and they don't learn Spanish uh, that well or barely because they're older or they're not. It's, it's not easy for everyone to learn a language. So it's not for everyone. You can criticize these people, but it's very tough to move somewhere. It's very scary. And not everyone is, is you know, it's like we're not all good at, you know, musical instruments. Imagine that, that being a requirement. If you move to, I don't know, music land, you have to learn to play the piano. So some of us will be really terrible at it. <laughs> And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, for me it's important. Well, that was a terrific answer, I think. And, you know, it was very cool talking to you, you know, recording this episode. I hope the people can listen to this episode and feel motivated to do something different. It doesn't mean that they have to move to another country, but you know, you can do something different. You can explore different things, uh, even using your computer. So I think that is step one, what you have to actually, you know, take in at the end of the story. So Eugenia, thanks a lot for your time and we'll be speaking very soon. Okay. So not bye guys. Okay. Bye-bye.